Hello, friends. Welcome to Our Powers Within podcast. I'm your host, Chasmith, and my mission for this podcast is to inspire you to take your power back and to realize that you are the healer you have been looking for all along. If you are enjoying the content from this podcast and the guests that I've had on the show, there are a few ways that you can help support future episodes. You could click the subscribe button so that you have every new episode waiting for you in your podcast library and you do not miss a good one. You could leave a five-star rating or a quick review on Apple Podcasts, and you could share your favorite episode with a friend or on your social media tagging me at Our Power Is Within. Lastly, at the bottom of the show, notes, you will find a link directly to a tip jar where you can support through the tip jar if you feel called to do so. So how was last week's challenge for you? As a reminder, we were looking into our beliefs and perceptions to see where we could create a shift. Um, Did you find a solution or, or not a solution, a situation. Did you find, well, did you find a solution? No. <laughs> did you find a situation or a belief in your life that um, that you were ready to flip around? Um, I'll share mine with you. I am currently working on flipping my script around my dog and her well-being. I realize that I've had a lot of unnecessary worry and fear that something bad will happen to her more than likely because of some past situations with my previous dogs. Um, But I also like know that all the worry in the world will not prevent something from happening and it will only rob me of the ability to enjoy every moment in the now with her. So this is a daily practice for me to shift my perception to trust that she is okay now and that this is what matters. It's also an opportunity for me to trust that I will always do my best as her dog mom and trust that even when or if something does show up at some point in the future, I will have the ability to discern and make good decisions to support her well-being at that time rather than try to guess all worst case scenarios and prepare today. So that's that's my share. Um, if you have anything that came up for you that you want to share, please uh, send me a DM or an email. Um, I'm always like loving receiving messages from you guys and hearing uh, what's going, you know, what's going on in your worlds. <clears throat> so today's challenge is going to go well with... Um, today's episode and actually even last week's challenge is kind of like a piggyback. So today's episode is all about the three principles again. This term might be new to you and it might be familiar. Um, It is actually the third time that we're going to be discussing these principles on the show and I'm so fascinated more and more every time I learn a little bit about them. Um, So having the challenge align with um, what some of our guests today, Ahana Studley, and I discuss. So what I'm going to ask everyone to do today, today, in this whole week actually, is to just begin to notice your thoughts throughout the day. And when I say notice, I mean genuinely just notice. Don't react, don't judge, don't ignore, don't delete, don't fear them. 
just notice them, right? For a few days. And then maybe after a few days of noticing them, you could start to ask yourself what thoughts that you don't want to believe anymore. Could it be that some of these thoughts are actually just not true? Inquire into this. And a good tip that can help you build this awareness, aka this noticing muscle, is to set a timer uh, throughout the day several times. And then when the timer goes off, just check in with where your mind is at and what thoughts are being entertained in that moment. Let me know how this goes. And as I've already mentioned, today the guest is Hannah Studley. She is back for her second time on the show. I am so excited to welcome her back. Our first conversation was such a delight. If you did miss the first episode where we listened to her story and how her awareness of these principles shifted her life for the better, you can go back and check out episode number 27. Today, Hannah uses analogy to help our cognitive minds understand more deeply what the three principles are, as well as ways that we can begin to see through the illusion of a thought-created world. Check out the show notes for her links to her newest group course, as well as her book club, and so much more, and please enjoy today's episode. All right, Hannah, thank you so much for being back with me for round two on the podcast today. So nice to be here. Thank you for asking. Of course. I'm excited. I loved our first chat, so I know that today will be just as awesome. Um, For everybody who's listening, I did have Hannah on a a while back, probably about a year now, and we talked a lot about the three principles, which is kind of her specialty, and how they applied to her life, and she shared a lot about her healing story. And I will leave a link in the show notes to that episode to reference, but um, to start out, I was thinking that maybe you could give everybody listening who might be familiar with the three principles a refresher, but assuming there's a lot of people listening right now that aren't actually familiar with this concept or term, maybe we could start on just going over the um, the basics of the three principles, what they are and all that good stuff. Yeah, that's that's such a difficult question to start with because it really isn't um, and what we'd call an intellectual understanding. It's not a cognitive thing. So it's kind of hard to describe, which is why um, you'll find three principles practitioners use a lot of analogies and metaphors to describe what we're pointing to. But so, he, so here goes one. I came up with this one when I was telling my friend about what I was so excited about. You know, because when people get into something, they like, oh, this is it. This is the thing. I found it, you know. And so my friend is a caterer. She's, um, you know, into food. So I thought I'd come up with a food analogy. And I said to her, if you had a bakery and you probably have to order the same basic ingredients over and over again, like, I don't know, flour, egg, sugar, oil, right? Now, with those ingredients, she could make um, all the local fantastic things bakers make here in Israel where I live. But if you were a Mexican baker, you'd probably also be ordering flour, egg, sugar, oil, you know, and making tortillas and wonderful things that Mexican bakers would make. A New York baker would make bagels and uh, donuts and bear claws with flour, egg, sugar, salt, basic ingredients. And around the world, there's bakers making millions of different beautiful baked goods with these just few basic ingredients. So the three principles are really the basic ingredients of all psychological functioning. They're actually more than that, they're the basic ingredients of how we understand everything. But for our, our purposes today, we'll, we'll stick to psychology. 
And so with these three principles, which are mind, thought, and consciousness, that's how we experience everything. Everything from pain and misery and anxiety to creativity and joy and abundance. They're, they're how we, um, we experience the world around us. So we actually live in a thought-created world. And uh, you could argue with me about that, but you'd be using thought to, to do that, right? So right? You, um, you, we, we process thought um, when we're conscious, when we're awake. And mind, um, mind is, these are spiritual principles. So mind is uh, another way of saying the intelligence of the universe or God, higher power, whichever word you feel comfortable with, that is already making me breathe, bringing the sun up and running the show in some spiritual way. And so we are blessed with consciousness and thought to, to experience that world. So that's my very poor <laughs> introduction to trying to understand the basics because it's so simple that I think people rush right by it. But there's such beauty in the depth of this once you kind of see how, um, how, how magnificent the, the simplicity is. Yes. And, and how you said it's not cognitive, but yet we're all, we're all, um, we kind of all are often, not all of us, but there's many of us who struggle with being very stuck in that intellect and we want to intellectualize and understand everything cognitively and some mm -hmm. things just can't be understood that way. Yeah. So <clears throat> what, what we usually say is rather than, um, trying to analyze it or understand it, what we're really looking for is insights because insight is when you have a shift in your thinking and uh, insights can be like um, big and mind, you know, like mind blowing and life changing, but they can also be very small and kind of amusing. Like I'll give you an example. When I was a, uh, a student and I went to Manchester university back in the early eighties. And uh, I remember visiting a friend of mine in the dormitories and her roommate was having cornflakes for dinner. And I remember thinking, you can't do that. Cornflakes are for breakfast, right? Because <laughs> I grew up in a very straight square kind of house. <laughs> and my mother got the, you know, the cornflakes and the Rice Krispies out for breakfast and put them away. And they were never seen. And I was thinking, you know, if you had cornflakes for dinner, that means you're lazy. You didn't go shopping. You're, you're, you're flaky. You didn't, you know, <gasps> that's not allowed. Now, I was a punk rocker, right? So here I, I suddenly realized I had this rule in my head that nobody had actually given me. I'd kind of made it up based on, you know, how I was brought up. And then as soon as I saw her eating the cornflakes and I thought, wow, is that allowed? Wow, that's actually cool. We can have cornflakes for dinner. <laughs> and it was like, now I'm not a cereal person. I don't think I've ever eaten cornflakes for dinner, but it was just in that moment, I saw things differently. And that's a very silly example. But when you have an insight about something, it can change everything without the circumstances around you needing to change. And that's pretty powerful. And, and that's what happened to me with um, the, in my chronic pain story is when I started understanding how the body works and how the mind works, um, I started to see things very, very differently. So insight is powerful. That's what we're looking for. Okay. That makes so much sense. Um, I'm just going to go over a couple things for everyone listening so that they can um, follow along when you're using some of the different uh, terms of the three principles throughout the um, throughout the chat today. So you it's it's thought, mind, and consciousness. Correct. Yes, and isn't it, it's so intriguing that um, that Sid 
decided to use mind to kind of relate to the spirit God, because that's what you said, right? Mind is what we look at as like what people think of as spirit God. Yeah. And I, it took me a couple of years to work out why he used that word, because at first it seems such a random word. Why, why mind? Why not nature or essence or, you know, something more spiritual or mystical. Mm. And then it suddenly dawned on me because, um, we, we have our intelligence in our minds. And he, he referred to this as in the intelligence of the universe, a loving intelligence. And I suddenly went, duh, right? If the, my intelligence is in my mind, then the intelligence of the universal is a universal mind, right? So I think, he, I think it was very wise of him not to use the word God because, you know, many of us have had either bad experiences or we have a lot of old ideas about God. So he used a much more general, generic word to make it, I think, more inclusive for people to, like, for them to come through an open door and not and not be um, judged judge by, you know, previous experiences. And so, yeah, mind is, is um, you could, like, say you could say higher power or, but to me, it's, it's when I'm working with people, as long as they have an idea of something benevolent, loving, kind, um, because it's very hard to relate to something that is um, austere and, and punishing. It's nothing to do with religion. It's something, it's just knowing that there's something taking care of us, taking care of the world, and whatever you see that as is totally fine. And it doesn't even have to make sense to anybody else. It really is your own personal understanding of that. Mm, okay, yeah. Yeah, I found it interesting because generally when you think of mind, you're like, my mind and you think the mind is where all these thoughts come from. And so, mm. yeah, it's, it's interesting. And then consciousness, just for clarity for everyone listening was, ref- it refers to. Yeah. Um, very basically Sid would talk about consciousness as awareness. You know, you, you need to be aware in order to, to be conscious of your thoughts. So unless you're God forbid in a coma or dead or drunk, I guess you're, uh, you're conscious and that consciousness is kind of, um, it's kind of the screen in which we, you know, experience those thoughts. If I wasn't conscious, I wouldn't be aware of my thoughts. That makes so much sense. Thanks for clarifying that. So, okay. So if there's somebody out there who's listening and this whole idea of three principles, thought, mind, and consciousness is new to them and they want to learn more, where would you suggest people begin to even go into this, um, into diving into this understanding or having these, you know, um, these, as you called them, insights about these principles and, and applying them in their life? Yeah, um, I would first of all say go to the original material. Um, Sidney Banks is the the man who kind of put these ideas together in the 70s. And there is a, a website with three, at least three lectures of his on, and it's free. It's called sydneybanks.com. That's pretty easy to remember. Um, and so there you can you can hear him speaking. Um, he, he agreed to be um, filmed later in his life. He passed away in um, 2009. Um, and, and he wrote six books. Um, his books are novels, except for one of them called The Missing Link, which is more like a... You know, it's just a, a collection of thoughts which are 
really powerful. Although when I've given that to clients to read, they go, I don't, I don't understand a, a word that man is saying, <laughs> not just because of his Scottish accent, but, and like, I read that book and I didn't understand half of it. And I go, well, I didn't either the first time I read it, but it doesn't bother me. Right. So as I've kind of hung around this, this kind of community and this understanding, um, it's gotten deeper and deeper for me. Um, because I think a lot of people, like I said, they find it very simple, so simple. How is that going to, you know, help me with me and my problems? But what I would suggest is also there are there are quite a lot of teachers now, and I'd recommend sticking to what we call the first generation teachers, who basically were people who he mentored for many years. Um, people like Dr. George Pransky, Dr. Bill Pettit, um, Dr. Dick and Bettinger. They're all either psychologists or medical doctors. There's um, and uh, Linda Pransky, um, uh, Elsie Spittle, she's uh, a wonderful older lady who's retiring now, but she knew Sid Banks before his Enlightenment experience and afterwards and witnessed, you know, the change that came out over him once he kind of had this um, these insights into these ideas. So they all have books and they all have websites and I highly recommend, you know, listening to them because like, the closer you are to the source... Um, the, the more you're getting the real message. And I'm very grateful that they, they all were my teachers when I was training to be a practitioner. Yeah. Uh, okay, awesome. I'll definitely look some of those up and put the links in show notes for people. Um, maybe whether it's through analogy for people to understand or through like a, a personal experience that you've had, could you help anyone listening try to understand what... Um, what it would look or feel like when somebody is embodying these principles in their life. Yeah, it's, it's funny just now you, you, you referred to it as applying the principles. And I remember when I said that when uh, the first time I was told off for saying <clears throat> that we're going to apply the principles because I think it was very wise that Sid called them principles because if you look up that word in the dictionary, it'll say something like reliable fact throughout the world. So gravity, for example, is a principle. Um, so if I were to drop my pencil right now, it's going to go down. It's a reliable system. You know, it doesn't go left on Tuesdays or round in circles at the weekend. You know, <laughs> gravity works <laughs> in a reliable way, um, you know, wherever you are in the world. So um, these three principles are how we experience everything. And it is a reliable system. So whether we understand it or not, they're actually still working. They're still, they still are because like gravity, you know, gravity was working and, and existing and operating a long time before Sir Isaac Newton or Einstein came along and started helping us understand the, the math behind it. Right. So, um, you know, if a kid came home from high school and say, mom, I want some gravity in my bedroom. She'd be like, okay, Johnny, go and enjoy because <laughs> it's already there. Right. <laughs> so the principles are already there and already working for all of us, but we, we probably, um, uh, like most of us, our, our minds are so busy and we're going so fast that we don't even kind of see it. So one of the analogies that I came up with was, remember, um, I, I'm not sure how old you are, but when I was a kid anyway, when and we'd go to the movie theater, it was actual film in those days, right? You know, uh, celluloid film. And the, you know, the first, um, you know, cinemas were called moving picture houses, right? Because the pictures were moving. This was a new thing. And so when you slow down film, you can see the individual frames, right? And you speed it up and it gets, you know, the, the action starts happening. 
it's the same with our minds. If if you if my mind is going fast, I'm not going to be able to tell the difference between thought and feeling and behavior. It's all one big mush. But when your thinking slows down, you can actually see that it's always thought, uh, feeling, and then behavior or reaction. So knowing and understanding this, it's helped me and thousands, hundreds of thousands of people now who are um, understanding this. I don't have to be a victim of my own thinking. Because before this, um, I, I mean, I've been coaching people for 30 years and I'd um, trained in quite a diff- lot of different modalities and got into a lot of different, you know, self-help and transformational um, <clears throat> beliefs and concepts where I was guided to see that the problem was in my thinking. And then, well, now you have to change your thinking, you know. So there's so many techniques out there from you know, um, reframing and journaling and expressive writing and meditating. And they're all, I mean, and there's nothing wrong with them, <laughs> you know, because we, we want people to be at peace and we want people to, you know, get, get um, free of all that stuff. So if it's working, that's fantastic. But what I was pointed to was to go a little bit further upstream and see why that's working. And when you understand that we're always feeling our thinking and that thought is always moving, then it can't actually get stuck. So just to go back to consciousness for a minute, another way of saying consciousness is state of mind or or moods. You know, we're all familiar um, with either being in a mood or being around someone who's in a bad mood, right? And when we're in a low mood, the quality of our thinking is pretty poor. Um, I don't know about you, but when I'm in a low mood, I get insecure, I can get grumpy, self-pity. Some people get very hostile. Some people get very quiet. You know, we, we all have different ways that we behave in a low mood, but it's kind of um, what's happening is that we're starting to believe the illusion that our thinking is true. For example, um, when when people are in a low mood, their language usually gets very black and white. Like you, you can tell someone in a low mood because I'll say things like this never works out and people you know, never understand me. I'm always on my own. It never, you know always, never, you know, those kind of words kind of belong in a low mood. Those absolutes. Yes, absolutes. Exactly. You know, it's always like this. It's never going to work out. You know, I'm never going to get better. When I hear thoughts like that in my mind, because I can still get, a, you know, a, a funky thought every now and again, I'm human. I've learned not to listen. And because thought is always moving, that grumpy thought, that hostile thought, whatever it is, that negative thought is going to move all on its own. So there's actually no need to analyze it, journal it, reframe it, give it a, a movie soundtrack, you know, all the different things that, you know, that we're taught to do. Um, because it's, it's almost like if you think of thought like a train, if the train has left the station, trying to analyze your thought, it's like dragging the train back into the station to work out how to make it leave. Well, it already left, right? So trying to do anything to control and and manage and analyze my thinking is actually messing with the system. So the more I mess with the system, the more, the worse I'm going to feel, and that's going to compound that negative thinking. And so when I first came around the three principles, one of my first insights was I saw that um, even ignoring my thinking was doing something. Because, you know, like right now I'm looking at my computer and there's, you know, several things on, on, on the screen. And if I try and ignore any of them now, I'd actually have to put effort into ignoring them. 
right? It actually takes effort to ignore stuff. So the more neutral you are to your thoughts, the less you're affected by them. Now I can hear all the therapists on the other line going, denial, denial, <laughs> right? <laughs> well, I can, I can assure you that um, I've been through some terrible things in my life. And if I were to tell you about them from a low mood, we'd all be crying, right? But I can tell you about them from a better mood, a, a higher state of consciousness, a, a better state of mind. And I can talk about it with understanding and even some compassion, for, even for the people that, you know, hurt me in the past. And that's because in a higher state of mind, and I don't mean, you know, like a, a guru, I mean, just any of us can be in a better mood. From that perspective, things can look very different. And so with that insight that even if I'm feeling awful right now, either physically or emotionally, it's going to pass. Like, like weather, clouds, storms always pass. And even if I'm stuck in the, in the, like the feeling of that low mood thinking, if I can hold on to the fact it's going to pass, I know I'm going to be okay. And that even in itself is enough to lift me out of it. Maybe just a little bit and then a little bit more and a little bit more. And then like, oh my gosh, where did it go? I'm not in that low mood anymore. And nothing around me had to change. Not even, and I didn't even have to do anything. That's the beautiful thing about this is when you understand how it works, there is actually nothing to do. Hmm. It sounds so simple, like you said, but yet it sounds like it would not be easy, <laughs> you know, or like, I guess, I guess I could see through my own experience and there's probably people out there listening who would probably have had this experience where they, they could say, well, but I did nothing for so long and I didn't get better. I actually just got worse. So how do I do nothing and get better? So it's not about not doing anything in our lives. I'm really busy. I've got, you know, um, lots of things going on. I have my fingers in lots of pies right now with projects and, and programs and writing books. And I'm very busy, but my mind isn't so busy anymore. I used to have an incredibly busy mind that was constantly judging, analyzing, monitoring, supervising. I'll give you an example. This, this cropped up for me the other day. I was walking through a a parking lot and you know how they paint white lines on the on the tarmac so that you know where to park your car and i saw that this person had parked his car a little bit too close to one of those white lines and i'm walking through this parking lot and i start thinking oh, that's so inconsiderate because that next guy is not going to have room to get out of his car he might even ding the you know the door of his car i start thinking about this i don't it's got nothing to do with me right i don't even have a car right now because i live right in the center of the city there's nowhere to park right so that's how, like, and I started laughing my head off because my head was like that all the time. I, I had such a busy mind. I was analyzing, supervising, monitoring everything you did, everything I was doing. I couldn't make a mistake. It had to be perfect. Um, I was judging what you were doing, how you were spending your money, you know, the weather, the government, you name it. I had an opinion about it. And all of that energy of, of that, um, that, that overthinking was constantly sending danger messages to my brain which was then, you know, producing a lot of physical pain. I mean, that that's basically my story is that, um, and, and the funny thing is, I never thought I was an anxious person. I never thought, because I was right, you know, the guy parking his car is wrong, right? <laughs> I'm not making that up, he was wrong, right? So with that kind of thinking, 
I'm constantly in like hyper vigilant mode, looking and checking to make sure my world is safe and that um, and that nothing's going to go wrong. And and with that kind of thinking, you know, we can think ourselves into all kinds of trouble, like stomach aches and migraines and even fertility problems, skin issues. You know, my back was always going out. My I had sciatica pain shooting down my legs. And as my mind calmed down with this understanding, I think what happened is I lost interest in so much of my own thinking that it started to fade. And my mind um, has become much quieter without me having to sit there to meditate two or three times a day, which is what I was doing when I was in California, because that's what you do right there. (laughs) (laughs) Um, No, but so... Like Sidney Banks said this beautiful thing once. He said, do not confuse the act of meditation with the state of meditation, right? So the act of meditation for me as a tense, you know, a kind of um, potentially anxious person was, oh gosh, I've got to sit still. You know, that person next to me is breathing too loud. Is, is it been three minutes yet? You know, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> and when you're not doing it right, that's produ- producing more stressful messages to my brain. And so I get like, you know, really... Meditation was very painful and very, and I had to push through the pain. And oh my gosh, it's so exhausting. And here I am, like six years or so into this understanding, and I'm I am just beginning to get glimpses of just how anxious I was. Like I said, because I was a coach, I, I thought other people were anxious, other people were were depressed, other people had issues. They were coming to me with their problems. But now when I look back and I see how you know, I get like very concerned. I was wearing the wrong shoes with the wrong outfit, you know, or, um, you know, like <laughs> this is what I, I thought of recently, like just, you know, getting somewhere on time. Now to me, five minutes early is on time, but then that's kind of nerdy. So now you have to kind of wait. And then how long do you wait? Do you wait like two, like, like you don't want to be flaky late, but you want to be respectful. Can you see, can you hear the overthinking? Like, right it's like that was how I lived and so and I'm like my gosh that is anxiety I didn't realize that was anxiety I I thought because I was right all the time you know that um I never interpret that as as an anxious set set of thinking so now I can still have those kind of thoughts and instead of needing to write about them to to you know work them out reframe them whatever I just watch them go by they just they float by like like clouds that you can rely on the fact that they're going to move and we all have um inappropriate thoughts criminal thoughts you know stupid funny funky thoughts they just don't frighten me anymore i used to think it meant something about me it really doesn't all thought is neutral until we have a reaction to it it's the reaction to it that's creating our experience so if i'm not frightened by it i'm not frightened if i have a a grumpy thought or a a criminal thought or something then I'm like oh that was a where'd that come from okay <laughs> moving on it's not it's not a big deal anymore mm. well I can very much relate to not even knowing you had anxiety because I have to say that the majority of my life I have well I realize that I definitely it would be called anxiety what I had my whole life, my, my thought process. But I also didn't know that until recently, actually, like in the last couple of years. Mm-hmm. Prior to that, I would have been like, oh, I don't have anxiety because I thought anxiety was like people who would have panic over doing like something like, dri- you know, like driving or this or that. I, I just thought it was more of an outward thing. And it was only 
in the past couple of years where I was like, oh, you mean all of this like overanalyzing, overthinking, over worrying is what you call anxiety? Oh, okay. <laughs> I didn't yeah. know that. Yeah. Um, so I relate to that, but I have to also say that my mind um, is jealous of your your mind now. My, my mind now is jealous of your mind now. I'm like, wait, <laughs> to, get, to get past all that analyzing, supervising, judging, overthinking, that sounds like heaven <laughs> on earth. Yeah. It, <laughs> it's a head. huge blessing. It's a huge blessing because, and and everybody has it. I mean, this is another basic um, uh, belief in, in the three principles world is that we all have innate health. Like Sid Banks would say, you are one thought away from good mental health. Now, that includes people sitting in mental asylums or people with all kinds of diagnoses. I've worked with clients with multiple diagnoses who, when they saw that they were basically torturing themselves with their own thinking, it went away. It's kind of like, you know, like a cat, a stray cat. If you don't feed it, it's going to go away. My thinking calmed down because I stopped, I don't know, acknowledging it, reacting to it. I learned to have nothing on it. Now, that doesn't mean I don't sometimes get caught up. But the difference now is if I do get caught up in, a, in, a, in some thinking, as soon as I catch myself, I start laughing because how ridiculous it is. I mean, I'll give you a quick example. Uh, a little while ago, I woke up early in the morning and I, I immediately smelled something disgusting. Like, like I thought that smells like the toilet's broken or something. So I'm lying in bed thinking, oh no, I'm going to have to get a plumber. They're going to have to, you know, find, maybe there's a crack in the pipes. And I thought, well, where are the pipes? You know, like they'll have to dig in the wall or in the floor. How will they find the crack? Oh my gosh, I'm going to have to move out. I can't live here if there's the, the floor's all dug up and the bathroom's not working. I'm still lying in bed. This happens in like split seconds. And all of a sudden I suddenly felt the intensity and, and the heaviness of being homeless. Now, I, thank God I've never been homeless, but it, my imagination is pretty wild, right? And I suddenly realized that even if that's true, I've got friends who live in my neighborhood who would happily have me come stay. I've got money, thank God, and I could pay for an Airbnb or a hotel, or my, my landlord's gonna pay, I don't know, right? And I started laughing because I'd thought myself into a disaster in like 30 seconds flat that wasn't even, you know, remotely on the horizon. So I got up and my bathroom is just fine. There's absolutely nothing wrong. What I think had happened was the cat had just had a poo and maybe there was a summertime and all the windows are open and maybe like a breeze had blown the smell towards me. And that's what I smell. Welcome to my mind, right? So I just started laughing. I was laughing for about two days after that because I was back in the good mood. And from the good mood, from that higher mind, that, that better state of consciousness that we all have, everybody has innate well-being. Everybody has courage. Everybody has resilience. It's how we're made. The, the negative stuff, the, the depression, the anxiety, that's the illusion. And it's a very clever illusion. It's very seductive. But the moment you see through it like it's a, just a shadow on the wall, it's nothing. It was just made of thought. When, when you see that it's just made of thought, it can disappear in seconds. And then my body can feel better. My day is better. I don't have to have anything on it. And I don't have to beat myself up because that would also be more thought going through my mind. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Having thought then 
beating yourself up for having those thoughts. How could you be this person? How could you have these thoughts? Like, yeah, reacting to them, fearing your thoughts, all that is just kind of, it's just this downward spiral. Yes. It's just more thought. So having less reaction to thought, being able to just laugh at our thought sounds heavenly, right? It sounds like so refreshing. Mm-hmm. But how do you get there? Because I feel like <laughs> there's probably a lot of people like myself listening saying, yeah, but I've tried to just ignore my thoughts or, oh, you already talked about ignore. Ignoring makes right. it more obvious. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But um, yeah, so it comes down to still trying to like intellectually understand how to embody this. I think that's why we say it's not an intellectual understanding because an intellectual understanding is actually no understanding because that's not it. Because people often ask me, how did I, like I used to work in in Hollywood. I did special effects in movies for, for a good 20 years. And people often ask me, how did I go from working in Hollywood to being, you know, a, a life coach? And to me, it's pretty, um, there's there's a really strong connection because my mind has a better special effects department than anything me or Steven Spielberg could come up with, right? <laughs> Meaning I, like when I was thinking those thoughts about being, you know, like having to move out of my apartment, that, um, you know, my toilet's broken, I'm going to be, you know, I, I was literally feeling this, that my, I could picture myself with a suitcase living under a bridge, <laughs> which there was no need for that at all. Now, one of the th- reasons, if you can't hear that thinking, what I experienced in that moment was the feeling of that thinking. Low mood thinking has a certain kind of feeling to it. It's heavy, it's intense, and sometimes there's an urgency to it. You know, got to do something now, got to change it, got to send that email, that you know, post that thing right now. Because if I don't, they're going to get away with it. <laughs> that those feelings are coming from low mood thinking, and the moment. I sense that I'm actually sensing the special effects produced by the thinking because even a question like, well, how do I get out of it is actually a kind of a low mood question because when you're in the basement, when you've been living in the basement, like down dark for a long time, you kind of forget that there's sunshine. And so if you are living in the basement, all you actually have to do is open the door and walk out. But when you live down there, you've probably forgotten where the door is. You don't even believe there is a door. And and just as, and here's another analogy. You know, I, I, uh, you know, I grew up, um, I'm, I'm from London. So um, the London Underground, or, or it's probably the New York London uh, Underground subway also, was built in Victorian times, right? So in Victorian times, there was not electricity. So it wasn't like they were building this tunnel knowing electricity was coming. There wasn't any. So they had to build these tunnels really deep under the ground. I mean, they go under the river with horse-drawn carts, probably donkeys as well, right? So these horses and donkeys that were pulling all the dirt out of those tunnels and eventually would be pulling the carriages, when when they were brought up to above ground, they would go crazy because they had gotten so used to the dark, the light was too painful for them. So they actually learned to bandage the horses and donkeys' uh, eyes so that when they come, came up above ground, they wouldn't freak out because a, a horse that bolts good could hurt someone badly so it's the same with us when we've been in a low mood for a long time I I suffered terrible PTSD for probably a good 10 years and 
people would say to me, oh, let's go for a walk or let's do a painting class. I'm like, are you kidding me? Do you know what pain I'm in? Do you understand what's going on in my life? I could not compute why you would see going for a walk or, or painting or whatever lovely thing you were talking about, meditation. It didn't make, it didn't register with me because I was living in this dark, dark, horrible place. But, but as soon as I started to see that that dark, horrible place was only made of thought, I only thought the world was a dangerous place. I thought that I was insecure. I thought that, you know, life was out to get me. Though that was a thought created experience. And now if I get any, I mean, thank God, I don't even go near that kind of thinking anymore, but I can tell when I'm heading in that direction these days. And for me, it'd be something like sarcasm or, or being a bit impatient or snippy with people. When I detect myself getting like that, I'm like, uh oh, <laughs> what's going on i just don't like don't listen to any more of that thinking because if i know now that there is no solution at the end of more of that kind of thinking there is no um there's there's it doesn't end well right it's like okay here's another analogy you know if you're hiking walking somewhere in nature there sometimes can be a sign saying you know falling rocks or don't go too close to the edge that kind of thing well you can ignore that sign and you can keep going like say but yeah i just want to take a picture you know, you're off, right? okay? you know, you can you can ignore the warning signs, but there's consequences, right? Um, you can you know drive fast on an icy road, but you're probably going to skid. I can keep listening to my negative thinking, but I'm probably going to think myself into a miserable life, and I did for a long time. And and it's innocent. I didn't know any different. You know, we often use the word innocent because. I innocently got caught up in my thinking. I innocently thought the world was a scary, dangerous place. I innocently thought it was all your fault. You know, if, if you, I'm not picking on Chaz right now, but <laughs> if the people in my life would just behave, you know, if the weather would just get better, if, if the government, you know, then I'd be okay, which is a complete mis innocent misunderstanding because I'm only ever experiencing my own thoughts, my own thinking. And as we established, if thought is always moving, then whatever thought I got caught up in is going to change. And I don't have to do anything to make it change because it's nature is to move. So often clients will say to me, well, I should just let that thinking go. I'm like, yeah, but good luck trying to make it stay. That's like saying, oh, I'll let that cloud go by. Well, can you make the cloud stay? <laughs> you can say I'm letting that cloud go by, but it's going to go anyway. The train's moving, traffic, you know, a river, whatever, you know, analogy makes sense to you. If it's always moving, you, the, when we feel stuck, that's another illusion of a low mood. That's another special effect. If I feel an urgency or any kind of heaviness now, that's all the information I need. That's the signpost saying don't go any further. And it only took me a couple of times of like resisting, you know, going further when it just disappeared. It melted because it was only made of thought in the first place. It's, it doesn't actually require effort. It requires understanding and recognition. And, and I think sometimes those of us who are overthinkers and, and like way, way up in our minds, that can seem daunting or impossible. But hey, that's just another thought. So, okay. So there, are there any kind of little rituals or habits or actions that we can take to 
learn to not listen to our thinking, like to not trust it, to believe it anymore. Like, you know, um, like how you said you laughed at your thoughts, like you just laughed at them. Like, is that a good approach? Um, so that, that (laughs) the laughter is automatic. The laughter isn't a technique. I, I mean, I guess an actor can make themselves laugh and they might be quite convincing, <laughs> right? But see how you just laughed? That was an that was uh, instantaneous, <laughs> right? It was it was automatic because because your your default setting is happiness, laughter, well being, and when so maybe I can explain it this way. Um, I had a client recently and she was talking about some terrible thing that was happening within the family. And she said, oh, she said, this actually happened before. And last time it happened, I was able to forgive this family member. She said, but this time I'm trying really hard to forgive him and I just can't. And I suddenly saw that in a low mood, you have to work at forgiveness. You have to work at gratitude. But when you're in a good mood, it just comes naturally. Laughter will come naturally when you're in a good mood, when you're in that good feeling. Like, for example, if if Chaz and I, you know, hosted a dinner party and we invited all our closest friends, we'd probably all be, you know, pretty much well behaved. We'd all be saying please and thank you. We'd like thank Chaz for making a a wonderful meal, you know, and whoever brought the wine, you know, we'd be polite to our neighbors. Hello, who are you? What do you do? Right. Because when you're in a when you're enjoying yourself, you don't have to try and be nice, try and be grateful. It just comes naturally. Whereas when I'm in a low mood, I cannot do that. I can employ techniques and methods and, and I could like maybe force myself to, you know, be grateful and see the good side of everybody and through gritted teeth, right? <laughs> but it's not coming naturally. But when you're in a, a better mood, it just, that laughter. See, when I, when I caught myself and thinking that really low thought that was making me, I I could feel the heaviness of it when I thought I'd I'd be living under a bridge. Um, When I caught how ridiculous that was, the laughter was automatic. It wasn't a technique. It just came naturally because once we see through the illusion, you're back to who you really are. You're back to your wellness, to your well-being. It's innate. That's what innate means. It's there. So the, any negative stuff like, being in a bad mood, the self-pity, the all that that stuff I was drowning in before was that was the illusion. So I mean when you were first learning about the three principles and you began in a sense embodying it in your life and you were in this very low state, I I guess how like what was the guiding point? Like what helped you get through it? just just the simple act of believing and trusting like suddenly that it was all an illusion um yeah i mean it's because when you see the truth you see if there's still a debate then we haven't seen it Mm -hmm. right it's like um i have a colleague her name's anna debenham she has a wonderful ted talk I'll, I'll, i'll tell you the link if you're interested but in, in this TED talk, she, she works with prisoners. She takes these ideas into prisons. You know, I have colleagues who, who take these ideas into all kinds of work. Like I mostly work with people with pain. Um, and I'm now um, writing a book about hormones. You know, there's lots of places where people suffer, but it also can be taken into like business, into marketing, into sales. You know, if you're in a foul mood, how are you going to sell, you know, what you need to sell that day, right? The better mood you're in, the more, you know, the better salesperson you're going to be, the better doctor or the better, you know, 
uh, life partner you're going to be. So what what I saw was um, the, the more that I'm debating it, I, I haven't got it. So what Anna says in her, her TED talk, she talks about, um, she tells a story about babysitting her nephew and she put him to bed and, um, you know, she went to the kitchen, did whatever she was doing. And she suddenly heard him screaming. She's like, Anna, Anna, there's a monster. There's a monster. Right? And she goes rushing into his room and he's pointing at a shadow on the wall. You know, it's like the teddy bear is on the windowsill, let's say, and then I know moonlight or a street lamp or something is reflecting. Now, as an adult, she can see immediately it's it's a, a shadow. She knows it's not a monster. But the two, three-year-old, you know, is is half asleep and confused and, and thinks he's being attacked. And so she calms him down and she like moves the teddy. Look, look, teddy can dance. Look, we can do bunny ears, you know. And so he starts to understand shadows. He doesn't have to be afraid. There's no rule that says you have to be afraid. So... I bet next time he saw a shadow, he might have gone like, oh, Anna wasn't scared. I don't have to be scared. Look, it's just a shadow, right? When you see what it really is, there's no debate anymore. And and you start to not have to like fall for it the next time. You know, if, if an adult is still like thinks that the shadow is going to get them, there's some kind of mystical power in that, then then they're still caught up in the illusion. And I started seeing how those illusions, you know, I have all kinds of stories in my head about, you know, like I said, from what shoes go with which outfit to um, what I think about, you know, politics or, you know, food or all kinds of things. Um, When you start seeing that they're just made of thought, they're just stories and they're not a a rule, um, then then there's freedom there. Mm. Okay. Um, we've, you've kind of briefly mentioned a little bit about like chronic pain and illness, but for anyone who's listening, can you explain how this applies to people who might fi- be finding themselves in years, years of chronic pain or sickness? Yeah. I mean, I, I had chronic pain for 25 years and I'm not a doctor. So when, when, when chiropractors and osteopaths would tell me, oh, well, you have bad, a bad back because of your three herniated discs or you have a, your arm is numb because you're, you know, where my neck was broken, you know, the nerves come out of there for the, for the arm or, you know, my sciatica pain was coming from my unstable pelvis because I have one leg longer than the other. Well, all of those things are still true. I still have one leg longer than the other and my pelvis is still slightly slanted and I have no pain, right? I have no pain. My herniated discs from what I learned now, have all healed. So what I've learned is all injuries heal. So if my injuries healed 25 years ago, why am I still um, experiencing pain? And what I learned is chronic pain is coming from a different part of the brain. Um, pain normally shows up in, in the prefrontal cortex, which is like the like just behind your forehead. That's where most where your brain kind of processes thinking and, and pain would show up there normally. I mean, the brain's very sophisticated. It's not just in one place, but generally. People with chronic pain, if you were to do an MRI, that pain would show up in their brain at the back of the skull, which is where uh, the limbic system is, which is houses the amygdala, which is in charge of the fight or flight or stress response. So straight away, I started understanding, oh, my pain's coming from my stress levels. So as a trauma counselor, that was like my former area of interest because I'd gone through so much trauma myself. I remembered how we learned that um, when the fight or flight response is activated, 
it generally um, is designed to last for about 20 minutes because in 20 minutes, you should be able to find the fire exit, call the emergency number, get away from that tiger that's chasing you. And then your, your, your body um, is flooded with all these stress chemicals and it takes about 72 hours for that to clear out so that you're ready to face another emergency. But most of us these days aren't sitting in stress for you know, 15, 20 minutes. We could be sitting in stress for two hours, four hours, eight, 16 hours a day, day after day. I have clients who've been sitting in stress for 10 years. And so when your adrenal glands and your, your thyroid and all these parts of the body are being um, kind of abused in a way, they're being asked to do something they weren't designed to do, then there's going to be problems. Um, a lot of people have stomach problems, for example, and it's because um, when you're in a state of emergency or crisis, your brain actually stops digestion because to digest lunch would be a luxury if you're running from a tiger or trying to get out of a burning building. So the problem comes then when we get hungry and we want to eat and the stomach has kind of gone on strike and there aren't the right enzymes and the right you know muscle movements to, to, to digest lunch, you're going to get bloating and pain. Same with fertility. Making babies is a luxury if you're running for your life. That's why a lot of people in, in prolonged anxiety and depression have fertility problems. Um, my, mine mostly was my back and, um, and, and my legs. I, I, was, I was paralyzed several times. And I have not had that kind of pain in six years now. And I totally believe it's because as my thinking slowed down, calmed down, and I was living more in that state of meditation, in that, that, that peacefulness, in my innate well-being, my brain didn't need to produce pain anymore because it didn't need me to, it didn't need to get my attention anymore. That's pain serves a purpose. Um, whether it's because you twisted your ankle and it wants, you know, your brain says survival means take your weight off that twisted ankle or, or if the pain is coming from, you know, something stress related, all pain is real. So if anybody's listening, who's been told that it's all in their minds, it kind of is, but, it's still real, right? Because all pain is in the brain, you know, and you can look at phantom limb pain and things like that to see how pain is a message coming from the brain and it's there to help us survive. And in chronic pain, it's kind of gotten um, uh, some misinformation because that continued stressful thinking is, is like another special effect that's kind of um, the illusion that we're in danger when we're not. And now I know I'm not in any danger my brain doesn't need to produce pain anymore. So a lot of the people I work with, when they see that, when they have an insight that their injury is healed, that they're kind of being torturing themselves with their own thinking, their pain or, and it's not just like pain, it can be eczema, you know, like I said, IBS, um, asthma, migraines, all kinds of ways that the body is sending us a message. It can fade away. Sometimes it can go like that. And other people, it takes a bit longer. Um, but we can all get well from chronic, chronic situations when you see, see the truth about the connection. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And you, and your experience, um, through your own personal experience and being a coach, um, for many years now, you've witnessed a lot of people overcome different illnesses and, uh, different uh, pain syndromes through, through this understanding. Yeah. 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 Like I said, sometimes it can be very quick and sudden. Like I had a guy here locally one time, um, came to, came to me and I mean, he did know about the three principles, but he just had a, 
a surgery on his shoulder. And um, like most people who had surgery, you know, two, three, six months later, there's the pain is back. And he loved yoga and he wanted to get back to his yoga and he could not rotate his arm. And he was sitting here on my sofa and we're talking and all of a sudden he went, I said, what happened? He said, I don't know. And he rotated his arm. It was bizarre. I've tried to get him to do a, a, a video with me, but he doesn't want to be on camera. I'm like, darn it. <laughs> but, right? And I've had other people who've like, you know, sometimes in a few weeks, they're like, oh my gosh, where, my, where did my pain go? Um, and then other people, and I don't know why, but fibromyalgia and chronic fatigue does seem to hang around a lot longer. I'm not sure why, but I still have had clients with, with chronic fatigue and, and fibromyalgia who have gotten well. It's just taken a bit longer. But on the journey to the pain disappearing, their mental, emotional well-being has improved hugely to the point where they'll tell me they still have some muscle pain or, or fatigue, but it doesn't bother them anymore. And one of my clients who's, it's coming up on two years since we worked together, when she, when I first met her, she couldn't even sit for the length of a Zoom session. She, could, she had to lie down. She, she, she said she couldn't sit in a restaurant. She couldn't eat a meal because it was too painful just sitting in a chair. And after we worked together, she then took a journey. She lives in Germany and she went to Jamaica for a you know, lifetime vacation. And, and I'd be tired after a 14-hour flight. And she did it. And now she's running every day. And she messaged me recently to say, she said, I don't even have to rest after I run anymore. Now, it has taken much longer, but her, um, her spiritual well-being, her emotional well-being has been amazing all along that. that she, didn't, she, didn't, she stopped talking about the pain. She didn't even mention it anymore because she didn't have anything on it. And I think that's, that's the amazing thing when you don't have anything on it. And I don't want anybody to be in pain and, and like, it's, we're not ignoring it, but the less reaction you have to it, the, the more chance it has of fading away. Right, exactly. Yeah, because often we might have pain or something show up in our body and it's our reaction, our fear around it that can totally exasperate the situation Yeah, because we get stuck in this cycle. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What do you, okay, so you have, well, first off, you just said you're writing a new book on hormones. Yeah. Um, That's exciting. Yeah. It, and my, my books are novels. I, I find not everybody's weird like me who wants to sit and read research and textbooks. <laughs> but um, so I've been writing novels. Um, my first book was about trauma. The second one was about chronic pain. Um, so this one's going to be a, a hormonal adventure novel. And it's about uh, a mother and her two daughters. And between the three women, they're going to go through the hormonal experiences that most women do at some point in their lives or, or may do um, from, you know, the monthly cycle to birth and possibly postpartum depression um, and, and perimenopause and, and then menopause. And if you don't know what's happening, it can be a very scary experience. And it's amazing how many women don't realize that that low mood comes every 28 days and once you know what it is it can change the experience I've, I've had clients already who whose symptoms are, have gotten either disappeared or gotten much much less when they've like you were just saying not reacted to what's going on with them hormones will um react to stress as well like like it's a very it's similar to pain but um a different um different setting 
so yeah so this is um going to be a book about hormones and um and it's not about what to do about all those things it's how like with everything if you understand how your mind works then whatever situations we have to go through it's going to make it a lot easier and possibly right. you know you know like say symptoms actually disappear so yeah that's that's one of the projects I'm, I'm writing a lot right now and i'm researching it and finding it fascinating um historically and and you know whatever the latest science is with it too fun when do you think that will be out oh it, well, it, probably another at least six months probably a year because writing because especially a book like this i want to make sure i get the science and the research right and i just kind of came up with a i just discovered something a connection between progesterone and estrogen and stress the other day and i so now i have to read up textbooks on the endocrine system and i'm not a doctor so it's like um and and then writing the book is kind of almost the easy part and then the editing and the you know the, the publishing part is um is, you know that can take a while so probably not before the um not before next summer um but I'm, I'm writing every day so i'm going as fast as i can um yeah that's exciting mm -hmm. book number three yep um and then speaking of books you actually have a regular um a regular book club right yeah um i have a book club that um we started out by reading my book painless um the the, the middle part of the book is is about um how uh, character Deborah, who's kind of like my alter ego, she presents these ideas in a pain clinic in Australia. And um, so reading that with with a group, we talk about the ideas that she's presenting, similar to what, you know, we've been doing today, talking about the principles and how they, you know, how that um, works with an understanding of pain. Um, and and that group, we, we had such a great time that the group wanted to continue. So we're now reading the books of Sydney Banks. And we're on we're on a second book right now. It's in Quest of the Pearl, and it's an amazing story about a, a man who's recovering from cancer, and he goes to Hawaii thinking, you know, sunshine and palm trees, that's going to fix it, right? <laughs> of course, he's still miserable, and he bumps into a character very, you know, similar to a Sydney Banks character, an enlightened person who, who introduces him to these these principles and these ideas, and he starts to get well, and his whole outlook on you know uh, on his life and his pain just starts changing. Um, so the book club happens, t um, two, two, um, two nights a month and, or it was night for me anyway, um, morning for California. And, um, and so we, you know, we all, I read something, we discuss it and it's a really nice, nice group. Yeah. That's awesome. And is, is it something that anybody can join when you start the next book? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, my clients, you know, the people, the members pay like by month for two sessions, so you can stop and start anytime. And the books are so, um, they're so simple and so rich in the beauty of them. You, you don't need to have read the stuff before. And I'd happy to give an introduction and, you know, can give a, a link to where they could buy the book if they want to. It's not necessary to have the book. So yeah, oh, anybody, okay. can, anybody can jump in at any time. So yeah, please contact me if that interests you. Awesome. And you also have a new program coming out in the new year. Yeah, I'm very excited about this. So I, I've been coaching one-on-one -on -one with a, uh, a many, many pain clients over the last, you know, four or five years now. And so I, and as I've gone on, I've acquired a lot of um, science and information and better stories and analogies to explain all this stuff. And so I decided to make it into a, an, a course. Um, so I opened it up um, starting in January. It'll be an eight-week course. Um, there's two options, either Sundays or Wednesdays, although Sunday is almost full. Um, 
and it's a 90 minute session each week. And um, I'll start off by, you know, going into the, the, you know, a basic understanding of the pain science and the, the latest research. And then the rest of the course is really going to be, you know, taking a deep dive into these three principles, you know, similar to what we've been talking about today. And I have lots of resources and videos and books and, and there'll also be a, um, a WhatsApp group for additional support in between the sessions and everyone gets a, a bonus one-on-one uh, -on -one coaching session with me, you know, to be used at any time. So, um, yeah, so the Sunday, the Sunday group is all, almost full. There's still a bit of room in the Wednesday group. So if anybody's interested, um, you know, contact me through my website or, um, you know, or Facebook. And uh, I'm really excited about it because um, it's the first time I'll be um, presenting these ideas to a group as to just one-on-one. -on -one. So, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm excited to start this. Yeah. Congratulations. And then um, just for anyone who's listening, uh, you this will be something that you also do again down the road. So it's yes. not like a one time, and if they don't make it in January, they don't get a chance. Yeah, yeah. Well, um, yeah. I hope to awesome. do it. You know, yeah, I hope to do it later in the year as well. Mm -hmm. Perfect. Cool. And they can just follow you on Instagram. You're you have a Facebook group that anyone can join. Yeah. Or, uh, I imagine you have like a newsletter through your website to so that people can stay up to date on new course offerings. Yeah, yeah. So okay. yeah, you can find me on Facebook. Um, my Facebook group has like over 2000 people in it now. So every day, you know, several times a week, I post things about these ideas and different ideas, you know, about um, how to, how this works in your life. And yeah, there's lots of inspiring stuff there and, and people can come and post questions and get a lot of help there as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Very supportive group. It is indeed. And I have one final question for you that I didn't ask you the first time around. So my question is, if you could only share one message with the world for the rest of your life, what would you choose for that message to be? I'm going to quote my teacher, Dr. Bill Pettit, and say, you're never broken and you don't lack anything. Mm. Never broken, nothing lacking. You don't need fixing. You see, we get caught up in, the, in our thinking and, and, and it's, the, it's just an illusion. And I've got clients in, you know, I've got a client in a wheelchair, a student I've known for many years. And, and she says to me, people always think my problem is physical. She said, it's not, it's my thinking just like everybody else. Mm, that's powerful. Yeah. Well, thanks for being here for come back on to the sh uh, show again and having this fun dialogue and uh, being willing to come up with all these analogies to help my thinking mind, <laughs> <laughs> my intellectual mind, try yeah. to uh, understand all of this awesomeness. I have, um, I've had uh, between your episode and then I had one other person who was uh, trained in the three principles uh, on the show a while back, I've, I've gotten a lot of feedback. Like it really sparked curiosity and interest, um, mm -hmm. through the listeners. So I definitely wanted to continue this dialogue and try to, you know, help all of us, um, cognitive beings to make more sense of it and, and figure out how to embody it. Yeah. I, I just, I want to commend you. It's, you know, you're doing great service and, and like, you know, bringing this to more people, you know, it's, it's, you're doing a great job. I really appreciate your inviting me back and it's a great opportunity. Thank you. 
friends, that is a wrap. Thank you so much for being here with me once again. What are your thoughts? Where is your mind right now? Are these principles resonating for you? I would love to hear more of what you come up with um, this week and if you have any profound epiphanies. And you know, like I said already, you know where to find me. I love when you share. Um, until next time, as always, make this week great.